all the people that are sitting in these seats. We thank you for those seats, too. Uh, God, you're a good God, and uh, we just ask for hearts that are open and attentive for these next few minutes. Uh, God, we love you in your name. Amen. We're going to get right into our uh, passage this morning. Luke 15. Luke 15, verses 11 through 32. Sounds like a lot of verses because it is. So hang with me. I'm going to let you guys get there. One of my pet peeves for uh, communicators that are preaching God's word is like they tell you a passage and then they like start reading five seconds after. I'm like, dude, I didn't have any, even a chance to get there. So once I hear the pages stop crinkling, I'll, I'll, I'll start reading. All right, Luke 15 Verse 11, this is Jesus talking. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants." And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came draw, sorry, as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has fit, killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours comes, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. It was the spring of 1865, and the United States, which were not yet united at the time, were coming off of four years of bloodshed. It was at the time, and still is to this day, the bloodiest battle in the history of our country. Brothers uh, never came home, and fathers and daddies were lost. 
Uh, in one corner was the Union, who was ready to abolish slavery. And in the other corner was the rebel Southern Confederate states, who weren't ready for that to happen. Luckily, after four years of back and forth, the rebels were ready to wave the white flag. It was at this time that a group of reporters and onlookers alike gathered together in a dimly lit room. The only light afforded to them was from the candles that lit its perimeter. They gathered to hear uh, from a man. They gathered to ask him questions and listen for his answers. All the while, the man sat slouched in a chair, his head down. He was tired and he was weary. There was a uh, young reporter in the back of the crowd who had a question he was burning to ask. So he makes his way to the front and he gets his chance. President Lincoln, President Lincoln, what is it that you'll do to the returning rebel soldiers? Gets his pen and paper out, uh, ready for what he expects to be a vengeful response. Abraham Lincoln uh, lifts his head and locks eyes with the young reporter, and he says these words, I will treat them as if they had never been away. Our story in Luke 15 is often referred to as the parable of the prodigal son. Uh, but I would argue this morning that it's much less about the son uh, and much more about the heart of a father. Our story begins, uh, and the younger son asks for his inheritance while the father is still uh, breathing. Uh, this is very uncommon. It's not uncommon for the father to give up his inheritance if he decides to retire from the state, uh, from the affairs of his state. Um, and the younger son would then be entitled in this time, and, and according to law, to one-third of the estate. The older son would get the, the two-thirds. So the father obliges, uh, and, and it says in some translations that the son went off to a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. Now, while living for you might look uh, and seem very different for the person sitting next to you. While living for me and my wife, uh, with four kids, three and under, uh, it's 7 o'clock on a Thursday night. We get a babysitter to watch our kids and as we go off to Target <laughs> and search uh, for diapers and toilet paper and deodorant and if we're feeling crazy, maybe we get uh, some popcorn to walk around the aisles with. By the time it hits 8.15, we get back in our cars and head back home because we're too tired to be out anymore. We get back in our bed and we go to sleep. While living uh, for, the, for the son in this story, and maybe for you, it looks much more scandalous than that. It says he wasted his wealth and while living ends up uh, feeding and hanging out with pigs. He was hired by someone to go feed his pigs. For a Jewish man, this was uh, the most dishonoring of jobs. Uh, to be around uh, a pig, swine, it was unkosher, it was unclean. It was looked down upon. He kind of comes to his senses and uh, he says, man, what did I leave? Where am I at? And so he physically picks himself up and he says, I'm going to go back to my father. I'm going to tell him, Father, I'm sorry. I sinned against you and I sinned uh, before heaven. And... I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Would you take me back just as one of your slaves, one of your servants? It says the father 
sees him off in the distance and goes and runs and greets him, puts his arms around him and kisses him and says, put a ring on his finger, put shoes on his feet, put a robe on his body, kill the fattened calf. We're going to have a party and celebrate. My son is home. He was dead. Now he's alive. He was lost, but now he's found. Uh, I believe that God has uh, three specific takeaways, with the first one being this. No matter how far from home. No, that's the second one. <laughs> that's funny. Uh, sometimes, this is the first one, okay, if you're writing this down. This is the first one, I promise. Sometimes we have to hit the bottom uh, to realize just how far from home we really are. I'm a big NBA fan. Uh, do we have any Lakers fans in the house? Two. Man, this, t- three, man. The first service had zero until I started to cry a little bit, and then the guy over here was like, okay, I'm a Laker fan. Uh, and the second, second one had like three and a half. Man, what's, the Lakers have lost their luster in San Diego, or what's going on? I'm a Laker fan. Uh, there's this guy in the NBA. His name is Stephen Curry. Maybe you've heard of him. Plays for the Golden State Warriors. He is an all-world talent. He's an all-star every year. He's won uh, two NBA MVP awards, which stands for Most Valuable Player. So he's like the best player in the league uh, for two years. He's part of a dynasty. The Warriors are like, no one can beat him. They've won all these championships, blah, blah, blah. This was as if Stephen Curry, who had a, has it really good in Golden State, up in Oakland where they play, this was as if Stephen Curry deliberately chose to get up and go and play for some woebegone franchise like, let's say, the Los Angeles Clippers. An organization that has never, in their 40-year history, won an NBA championship. They celebrate mediocrity and hang up division banners in their arena. And he goes and he plays for the Clippers for a few months, and he realizes, oh, man, this is not very good. They go on a, on a losing streak, and he says, man, I left something really good in Golden State. I need to get Bob Myers. Bob Myers is the general manager of the Warriors. I need to get Bob Myers on the phone. I'm going to... I'm going to ask him if I could come back. So he says, Mr. Myers, I'd like to come back to the Warriors. So he gets in a plane, and he heads back up to Oakland. And there, Bob Myers is waiting in front of Oracle Arena with his hands behind his back. And Steph walks up, and he's like, Mr. Myers, I'm so sorry I made a mistake. I shouldn't have left the Golden State Warriors and gone to play for the Clippers. Would you take me back? I I don't want to come back as the all-star point guard. I don't even want to be a starting point guard. I don't even want to be a bench player, Mr. Myers. Would you just take me back as a ball boy? And Bob Myers uh, takes his hands from behind his back and is holding a Steph Curry number 30 Warriors jersey and he hands it to Steph. And he says, here, put this on. We have a game tonight and you're going to be our starting point guard. Sometimes we need to hit the bottom to realize just how far from home we really are. I started attending a uh, very conservative Baptist church at the age of seven. Uh, Didn't fit me too well, but I I started going there. And And I started going to all the youth events and youth groups, and uh, I started gaining a lot of head knowledge. I started becoming really good at answering church questions. You know, you know how you get that way? You hear, you hear a, a question, you automatically know a response, right? You didn't have to think too much about it. That's where I was. 
But I had a problem. I, I, I kind of, um, maybe some of you might this come as a shock, but because of the tattoos and all, but I was kind of a little rebellious punk kid. I was attracted to the bad boys and, and the bad girls, and especially the bad girls. And every Friday and Saturday night, let's be honest, every Friday and Saturday night, um, I was out partying with my friends towards the end of junior high, into high school, and even after high school. And um, every Friday and Saturday night. And then every Sunday morning, I'd wake up and put on a different set of clothes, and a different version of Brandon would show up to church. And I got in this cycle year after year after year of doing this. Then I look back as, a, as an adult, and I wonder, man, why didn't those guys ever come to church when I invited them? It's because I was two different people. They knew that. They saw right through it. There was one night in particular, it was probably 2, 2.30 in the morning, and I was standing uh, at a party in the street, under the streetlights. I had a beer can in each hand. And I remember for the first and only time in my life, and I'm 38 years old, uh, I heard the audible voice of God. And this is what he said to me. He said, Brandon, what are you doing? felt like uh, the Mexican Zach Morris from Saved by the Bell. Have you ever seen that show? He could like stop time and everything around him stops. And he could still move around and talk and think. Felt like time, time stopped and I dropped the beer cans and, and uh, I realized in that moment just how far from home I really was. I realized that the truths I knew about what God was calling me to do and, and who he was calling me to be as a, as a follower of him and that the things that I was doing couldn't have been further apart. Uh, some of you uh, are in a relationship with someone or something that you and your close friends and family know you shouldn't be in. Uh, maybe you've started down uh, a path that seemed sexy, it seemed appealing, it seemed uh, like it was going to offer you something, and you started down that path, and maybe for a few days, or even a few months, or maybe even 20 years, it started to fulfill you. But something happened. You closed your eyes just for a few seconds, and when you opened them back up, you were standing in a field full of pigs. Uh, take courage my friends, because you don't have to stay there. Which brings us to our second point, uh, which is this. It's on our way back home that we become ourselves again. Uh, I dropped the beer cans that night, and then I walked home. Like, again, remember this is 2, 2.30 in the morning. I walked home like five miles. Uber wasn't available at that time. So I probably, let's, let's be honest, I probably would have just taken the Uber home. But I didn't, and it wasn't there, so I walked home that night. And if any of you knew me, even for like a month, you'd realize and under, come to understand about me that I am not a walker. Uh, pe you People that walk for fun, I don't get you. Um, you and I are just like this, okay, in that, in, at least in that, in that uh, sense. People who walk for fun, uh, if, if I were to um, give it, be given a choice to go for a walk or go sit on the couch and watch my favorite Netflix show, I would 1,000 times out of 1,000 times take that couch on the Netflix show. I didn't want to walk home that night. 
but it's something that I came to realize I needed to do. I didn't want to walk home because I knew that God would give me time to reflect and assess uh, where I was currently at in life. It says in our, in our passage that the uh, sun was off uh, in a distant country. Translation there, his journey home was not a short one. Uh, some of you might be out of control in, some, in something, in, so, in some way. And you've, you've been that way and you've, and you've lost you've lost the essence of what made you you. I know it's very general, but I feel like that's what God wanted me to say. I feel like um, there might be some of you in here that, that uh, the, a family rift started to bubble up to the surface, and you thought it was just going to be a few days, but here you are 20 years later, and you haven't picked up the phone to say, I'm sorry. Uh, the first step back home is often the scariest but most important step that you'll take. And it's with each step back home that we get closer and closer to home. And home isn't a building. It isn't an apartment. It isn't a, uh, a house. It's a place that God has prepared for you for you to feel alive again. The journey back home could be a long and grueling one. But again, take courage. Because that brings us to our last takeaway. I don't speak as long as your regular speakers. Which is this. No matter fa how far you've gone, the Father still waits for your return. It says in uh, the passage that the uh, Father saw the Son off in the distance. I could imagine as a father myself uh, that that father just stood on the front porch uh, waiting and hoping for his son to come home. Waiting and hoping and waiting and hoping and waiting and hoping and waiting and hoping and waiting and hoping. And then one day he saw him. And he ran as fast as he could out there. And he threw his arms around his son. I could imagine, uh, just give me a little bit of liberty here, I could imagine that the uh, son was probably physically limping on his way back home. Maybe his feet were dragging, his body a reflection of what his soul was experiencing. He was ashamed and he was beaten. Um, there's a video I want to watch with you. It's from the 1992 Olympics. And... Uh, as you watch it, would you just envision uh, the father going to meet his son on that last leg home of his journey uh, back to him?
2015 is when I first became a father. And ever since that day, I've read this book differently than I did before. I watch movies and TV shows and read other books differently than I did before. If there's a parent and a child, I can't help but put myself and my kids in those shoes. And so when I was going over this passage over and over over the last few weeks, Luke 15, verse 21, became one of the most shocking verses in the entire Bible to me. It says, And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. You're like, what's so shocking about that? It's shocking to me because I don't understand how he even got those words out of his mouth. As the father runs to him and puts his arms around him, and I would assume the young uh, man is crying and he's saying, Father, You don't know where I was. You don't know what I've done. I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your shh. child when you lived with me. You were my child when you were away. You are my child now. Of course you're worthy of my love. Can you imagine if the, if the father had a, a, a countenance like the older brother? Sees the son walking home on the last leg of his journey and he says, what are you doing back here? You took my money. You disrespected me. You must be a fool for coming back here. You're not welcome. But that's not what happened. It's the father's response to his child coming back home that makes this story worth telling. Some of you need to come home this morning. I don't know what that looks like for you. Maybe it's someone in this room. Maybe it's multiple people in this room. Maybe it's people that aren't even in this room and you know who they are because you've been praying for them for the last few years. Maybe it's a, a sibling or a daughter or a son, a cousin, a close friend. You've been praying. Maybe you've been praying for 40 years that they would come home. Maybe today isn't the day. Maybe it's next week, but maybe this is the year. I'm going to believe that it is. Did you notice in the video uh, 
how the father was like shooing people away? I heard some of you giggle. I laugh at that one too. I get it now. As a father myself, I get it. Because if that was my kid and someone else tried to come up, I'd shoo him away too. I'd be like, no, 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 no. I've got him. And he has me. That's my child. Some of you may feel way too far gone for God to accept you back home again. And speaking from a father's point of view, that couldn't be more untrue. I'm going to pray for us. Then we're going to sing one last song. I'm going to pray for the people whose hearts are beating fast, whose palms are getting sweaty. It's not because of anything that I said or did. It was, that's the Holy Spirit. I'm going to pray you have courage, uh, enough courage to, to talk with someone today. I'm going to pray for all those daughters and sons that need to come home, come back to the Father. God, I don't know their names. You've known them from uh, the day you created the world. God, we pray for those women and men, those young girls and those young boys that need to experience and encounter your heart for them. God, we pray that they know that you are waiting on that front porch for as long as it takes for them to come home. God, we love you. In your name, amen. Can we have a hand for Pastor Brandon? Let's stand together. Oh, praise the name of the Lord.